0: All right, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Would you open your Bibles there? Man, this is a great passage. It's an extension of last week's sermon. So if I'd have had another hour, if you could have stood it without falling asleep last week, we could have just kept going, and this would have been all one continuous sermon. Okay, that's how, that's how vitally these two passages are connected. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read that, and we're going to go, okay? Here we go. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you for this incredibly beautiful passage about how much you love us. And Father, I pray that that one message would be commuted clear, communicated clearly and soundly. Uh, this morning, I pray that the people in this room would know your love, that they would know, they'd be forced to come to grips with what that means in their life, that you have loved them so incredibly well. Father, teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. We ask you, we pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a little bit of review from last week. So where do we end last week? Well, last week in verses 1 through 5, here's what Paul said. Paul said, guess what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, so many of you would be raising your hand. You'd say, "Yep, yep, that's me. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ." Okay, so Paul says, "If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, now you have access to God. It's like the door swung open, and now you have peace with God, and now you've you've walked into grace, and now you you stand in this grace and with this peace, this harmony, this reconciliation with God." Okay, now last week Paul said one of the implications of that is now we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right? Now you remember what glory of God is? One of my favorite favorite things to talk about. The glory of God is God's infinite awesomeness in every category that matters, okay? In every every category that matters, God is infinitely awesome, so he is off the charts good in everything that would satisfy your soul, okay? So anything that would genuinely satisfy and fill you up, God is off the charts in that, okay? That's glory, okay? And so Paul says, man, now that you have, have peace with God, now that you've walked into this grace with God by relationship with him, now you have this great hope Okay, This great excitement, anticipation, looking forward Okay, to the glory of God. You get more of God, more of God, more of his satisfying nature is coming for you. You know what? Paul didn't just talk this way. You go way back in the Old Testament. The the people in the Old Testament, the psalmists were talking this way, okay? Let me read you Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? This This is a psalmist talking to God. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. The psalmist saying, God, man, I want you. You're what I get. You're what fills me up. You're what strengthens me. You're my portion, okay? And so that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying we have this great hope in the glory of God. Now, not only we have hope in the glory of God, but he goes even further and he says, we also hope, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, remember, that was hard for us last week, right? It's hard for us to read that. In verse 3, that we rejoice in our sufferings. But when Paul explained it, here's how he explained it. Whenever we suffer, we we, 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 we depend on God. We, we get endurance in walking with Him, and we experience His love in fresh ways, right? So it's, it's like an appetizer of what's to come, right? We all like appetizers. I like appetizers, right? When you got a, a big meal coming, Thanksgiving's coming up. You know, my mom always puts out a huge spread at Thanksgiving. But you know what I like? Even before the huge spread, I like the tasters before, right? My grandmas are always good about putting out those little hot dogs and the chips and dip, and you know, man, I I like I like the the tasters. It doesn't make me want the meal less; it makes me want it more. Like it, it's coming, right? And, and so Paul is saying these experiences of God's love are like glory appetizers. All right. So verse five says, hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love. Listen, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. See, that's a glory appetizer. And so, what that's saying is that believers, we as we walk through our life, man, the love of God, we experience it in fresh ways. And that love, that love poured into our hearts, makes us even hungry. It has an even greater impact upon our daily life, knowing the love of God. So now we hit verse six. Okay, so now we're ready to jump into this week, verse six or eleven, and here's Here's how I would describe what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, we're gonna unpack how incredibly well God has loved you. How should that impact you, okay? So for the next, however long it takes us, we, we're we gonna think about how has God loved me? How have I already experienced that, all right? Now, if you're, if you're not a believer, I just want you to listen because you haven't experienced this yet. Yeah, yeah, I hope you will. But if you're a believer, you should be right with me, okay? You should be saying, okay, yep, yep, I know. I, I hear you, Pastor. I've experienced that, okay? And so we're gonna talk about how has God already loved you and then how should that love that you've already experienced, how should that impact Your daily life. That's how we're going to end, okay? So first of all, how has God loved you? Well, Paul starts out talking about that by talking about when did God first love you, okay? That's an important thing. When did he first love you? So look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so two, two words there that are key, weak and ungodly, okay? So when, when did Jesus first love you? When did God first love you? First of all, when you were weak, okay? Now, what does that word weak mean? It means when you, you, it means you're weak. You couldn't do anything for yourself, okay? You couldn't get yourself out of the bind. You're a sinner. You're, the wrath of God is coming on you. Your heart is broken. You don't live like you ought to live. You don't love people like you ought to love people. You don't treat people like you ought to treat people. You're broken. What are you going to do about that? Well, you, you can't do anything you're weak, right? We're weak. We try, but man, we can't fix ourselves, okay? That's what he's saying. God loved you when you still were in your mess, okay? When you couldn't fix yourself. Man, it's a terrible thing to not be able to fix, to reconcile with somebody. I had an experience about 10 years ago where I had to make a decision with another group of men and, and it was the right decision, but it was really, it was just a hard deal. And the people that, that were affected by it, some of them did not understand. And I remember I had good friends that were just at odds with me. And I remember walking into an event and, and holding out my hand, you know, saying, hey, brother. And I remember this guy giving me this cold stare and just turning around and getting putting, putting his back to me. You know, have you ever had your hand just stuck out there in midair, you know, and you know, what do you do with it then? You know, I mean, I mean, and I, I remember just how painful that was. I wanted so bad. I love this guy. I loved his family. You know, there was no intention to hurt him. And and just to not be able to fix that. You're like this with God. You can't fix it. You can't can't fix yourself. You can't do good deeds. You can't go to church and try. You you can't fix yourself. That's the condition we're in. Not only are we helpless and weak, but we're also ungodly. See that in verse 6? While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly, people who are unlike God, people that don't want God, don't seek God. Verse 8, he says, but God shows his love for us while we were still what? Really great people? No, sinners, okay? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, for while we were what? Enemies, all right? Put all those words together. You're weak, you're helpless, you're ungodly, you're a sinner, and, and, and you're an enemy of God. That was our condition, okay? If you don't know Jesus, that's your condition right now, okay? Romans 1 told us the root of sin. You remember when we went through that, Romans 1.23? Here's the root of sin. Here's why people sin. Here's why people break God's law. It's because they don't want God. Romans 1.23 says that every human being has exchanged the glory of the immortal God for other things. In other words, in our hearts, all of us is this. We don't want God. You know, we hear about him, we know there's a church, we know there's a Bible study. We're just like, you know what, I'm bored with that, I don't want that. I'd rather have a pile of money, I'd rather have a sports team, I'd rather have a mall, I'd rather have a fashion magazine, I'd rather have people tell me how great I am. But I'm not interested in God. That's the root of sin. We've all sinned in that way. We've offended God. We've cheated Him. We've not given His due. And verse 10 says, the result of that is we are enemies against God. We are actively defying Him and resisting His his will in His own house. Think of it that way. Whose world is this? Whose air are you breathing right now? Did you manufacture that? Did you make your own air and bring it today? No, you didn't. You're breathing God's air. How's your heart pumping? Did you do that on your own? No, God makes it pump. How are you living? God gave you life. You're living in His house you're living in his world he gave you his life and the whole time we are defying him and while we're doing all of that Paul says that's when God loved you you see that you see we're so tempted to think when God loves me what do we tempt? we're tempted to think of ourself on our best day right sitting in church here we just got done singing and you're pretty sure I mean it wasn't a contest but you're pretty sure you sang better than everybody else you know you could hear the people around you. You were better, you know? Not only that, but you were more sincere. You know, you looked over and you saw somebody yawning, you know? And you're like, man, it's not a contest, but I was better, you know? And, and you brought your kids, you brought your grandkids. They're all looking nice, you know? And you're you dressed up, and, and, and you got your life kind of together, and everybody else is falling apart. And, and you're thinking, yep, God loves me. No, that's not the way you should think of that. Here's what you should think of. What's your worst moment in your entire life? The one you're most ashamed of. Let's put it that way. What? What's a moment? You you know I don't even have to think about this. Like 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 it when I when I say that sentence, I've got things that race into my mind so fast. What's that moment? What's that moment that if we were to play it on the screen, you you'd literally run out of here. You'd move. You'd never come back. You'd be so ashamed. You got it? Got it in your mind? Okay. Right at that moment, God loved you. He's not ignorant of that. He was there. He saw it. He's not happy with it. Don't don't, don't go there. I'm not saying he doesn't care. No. His son was butchered on a cross because of that moment. But, But here's what Paul is saying. He has loved you even when you were a wretched, sinful enemy. God has loved you. He's loved you in your ugliness. Well, that's so different than the way most people love, isn't it? Why, why do most people love? Well, we, we love because somebody's lovable, right? Like somebody who is kind to us and loyal or committed or they're beautiful or they, they compliment us or they're funny, they're adventurous, they're generous. We admire something about them. They contribute to our life in some way, right? That, that's, that's why most people love, right? Well, how did how, I, I come to love my wife, man? She sat in front of me in American history junior year, okay? We had Mr. Fairchild. Mr. Fairchild was 135 years old, and he'd been teaching <laughs> history for 120 of those years, and he, he had a computer glitch. That's the only way to know how to, like, like he'd be teaching, you know. Back in the War of Eight, he'd just be frozen there, you know. Sometimes for like minutes, you know. And then he'd kind of get going, reboot again. So what I'm telling you is we had a lot of time to talk, you know. She sat right in front of me, and uh, beautiful blonde, curly hair, long, she's cheerleader, you know. And and man, here's the thing that grabbed me. She, she'd turn around and she'd look at me and just... You know, the way she looked at me was like, you know, man, you're the most masculine thing I've ever seen in my life. That's the way I interpreted it. I don't know if she was really looking at me that way, but that, that's the way I interpreted it, you know? And, and she'd laugh at my jokes, and, and, you know, every once in a while, she'd, she'd turn around, I have my hands on my desk, and she'd put her hand on my hand, you know? And, I mean, she came to, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way American love works. But what happens when that stuff stops happening? now you got people falling out of love. You ever hear that? It's it's the dumbest phrase I've ever heard. Falling, it's like you didn't mean to. You stepped in a hole, you know. <laughs> what happens? Well, now, 25 years later, you know, well, what if I still go by that standard, you know? And now in the middle of the night, here comes my, my wife, you know, and She's not a cheerleader anymore, and she doesn't have the long blonde hair anymore. And and instead of looking at me like you're the most masculine thing ever, she's bringing this this one-year-old to me with snot coming out of all of his orifices, and she's like, here, it's your turn, you know. And you know what people do? They're like, I fell out of love, man. You see, God doesn't love that way. If he loved that way, you'd be in hell. You, You understand that? You would be in hell. If that's the way God loved, if He only loved when you're lovable, you're an enemy, you're ungodly, you're a sinner, you're helpless. Man, Ezekiel. If you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, there's this graphic picture of God's love for Israel, and God, God describes them as this this stillborn baby wallowing in its blood on its last breath, that discarded in the trash heap. And he says, I picked you up and I breathe life into you. That's the way God loves. Why is he loved that way? Not because of anything in you. You see, here's where people's theology gets all squirrely. You know, if, if you have this theology that God loves you because you're good, and nobody says that, but I know people believe it. You know how I know people believe it? Because I have people come into my office and they're like, You know, I'm like, hey, I got this problem. They're like, well, have you prayed about it? No, I haven't been praying. I just don't think I'm worthy. You know, I haven't had my quiet time in two weeks. And so I just, I don't don't think God even wants to mess with me. I'm like, do you see the implication of that? The implication of that is what they're telling me is when I have my quiet time, then God's really happy with me. And he's like, oh, what can I do for you? You know, but when I don't, let me tell you what, it's... (laughs) You're in trouble, okay? If if you're on a performance basis, then you don't ever have any right to say his name. You're you're going to hell. The only reason you have a right to stand before him is Jesus. He loved you. He came after you. Look at verse 7. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? I bet if we went to OU Hospital in Oklahoma City, Mercy Hospital, and Baptist—those three, those are kind of the three biggies, right? OU, Mercy, and Baptist those are those the ones that, that, that I find myself going to most of the time, anyway. I bet you, I bet you, in those three hospitals right now, there's probably a hundred people that are shortly going to die. You know. Just in the next couple of weeks, next month, they're they're exiting the planet. They're 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 not gonna make it. They've got cancer. They've got heart disease. They're old age. they something wrong. In fact, they're they're probably not gonna make it. Okay. Now, among those hundred, I bet you anything, we could find twenty of them. We could find twenty of them that, as you look at their past, you look at their community, you look at their their families, we would all say that's a good person. That's a good person. They lived a good life. Okay. So. Factoring those 20, if we had the buses running right now, I said, I need 20 volunteers to load on the bus. You're going to go to Oklahoma City. There's new technology. You're going to give your life to that person, okay? they're going to hook you up to a machine, you're going to die, and that person's going to live. They're going to get the rest of your life, okay? How many would be saying, and again, these are good people. I'm not talking about the the, the other 60 or 70 that squandered. These, these are good community folks. How many of you would load the bus? Right now, you'd load the bus and say, hey, there's a good person in Oklahoma City that I could give my life to. You know, here's the, here's the funny thing. Maybe that might even happen. Paul leaves room for that. You know, he, he says scarcely will a person die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. You know, that might happen. Maybe that does happen. Sometimes movies and books are, are made about it. OK, but let's change the illustration because verse eight is where we're at. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the better illustration. There's five people. There's at least five people on death row right now in America. OK, let's just for the sake of argument, say there's three serial rapists and two murderers okay cold-blooded murderers all right these folks have had chance after chance and they have continued to live lawlessly as criminals they've broken the law again and again and again how many of you would load the bus how what what five of you are going to load the bus and say you know what i'm going to give my life that that person can continue to live i'm going to give up my family i'm going to let them come in they can take over my family i'm going to let them live i'm going to let them have my life bus is probably going to be empty right And yet that's what Jesus did. What kind of love is that, my friends? First of all, it's a demonstrated love. We, all, we struggle at times, true or not. We struggle with thoughts about, does God love me? You know, have you ever gone through a time of loss? Maybe you had a terrible accident in your family and people died unexpectedly. Or maybe, maybe you sit and watched your husband, wife, grandma, grandpa pass away with cancer. Maybe the bottom came out of your life financially. Do you ever find yourself kind of muttering under your breath? Does God really love me? Well, okay, God has answered that question, yes, okay? But God has also demonstrated that love. I don't think anybody in the other services was around, but some of you were around. I I preached on this text at the Methodist Church. I know Bonnie Bonnie was there, I know. Um, the Methodist Church years ago, um, maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago, it was a, a service. And, and, and when I came to this demonstration, I wanted people to understand the power of a demonstration. So I told the story about Em and I in, in college. Uh, some of you might remember that still. Um, we, we, were, we were living in government-subsidized housing. We just had a brand-new baby. We were both going to school, working part-time jobs, very poor. We just had a little baby, Hannah. You know, she was an infant at that time. And knock on the door, and knock on the door, and it's a vacuum cleaner salesman. And the vacuum cleaner salesman said, "Hey, you know, I'm selling vacuums. I'd like to come in." And I laughed at him. I said, "Buddy, you don't know where you're at, man. You know, we don't have any money at all. You know, there's there's no way." And he's like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm just learning. Would you just let me do a demonstration? You know?" He said, "I'll, I'll sweep your floor for us." I was like, "Okay, you got me on that. Come on in, buddy. You know." So he came on in, and and you know how they he puts that little white you know filter in the vacuum cleaner, and he starts running. I remember I'm in a government subsidized apartment. It, it had some rough times, you know. He starts running the vacuum over that carpet, and he pulls that deal out and I'm telling you there was things growing you could have done a science experiment you know it was like there's a little farm on there all right you know complete with little creatures all right I mean it's just, it was terrible and he looks at us and he holds that up and he says did you know that your baby your little baby is laying on that do you know she's rolling around on that floor my wife, so you know ah, you know and, and man, he starts doing other stuff. I remember the most impressive thing he does, he pulled out a bowling ball. He pulled out a bowling ball out of his little, you know, cart dealy, Puts it on there and it puts this thing, this, this attachment on. Sucks that bowling ball off the ground. I mean, this was a super sucker vacuum cleaner. Alright? We've got no money at all. I find myself on the phone to my dad, my father, saying, can I borrow $1,800? Hannah's gonna die if we don't get a new vacuum cleaner. She's gonna live in filth, you know? And I'm so thankful for a good man like my dad who is willing to just say, Jason, that's really dumb. You know, <laughs> that's stupid. You know, what are you thinking? You, I already have money to eat. You know, but here's the deal the demonstration caught me. Jesus not just said, He loves you, He came, didn't He? He bent over that wooden block while they ripped the flesh off of His back. Are you convinced? Do you need more? He held back while they pressed the thorns into his scalp. as blood ran through his face. You say you're not convinced yet? That he loves you? He carried his cross until he couldn't carry it anymore. He laid down on those beams. Are you convinced? Then they drove the nails into his wrists and his... Legs. Are you convinced? Does he love you? Then they lifted that crossbeam and sunk it in the ground, and he hung there, suffocating. One, two, three, four, five, six. Not six seconds, six hours. Anytime he could have got off. Does he love you? Is that demonstration of love sufficient to convince you that he loves you? He demonstrated his love. Every one of us pinned down by our sin. We're flat on our backs and the weight, the eternal weight of the wrath of God hangs millimeters above our face and it's going to drop. The only reason it hasn't dropped already is the mercy of God. It's got to drop. God's just. God's not the kind of judge that that lets the murderer go free and say, hey, you know what? It's okay. We'll just, we'll just sweep this. God's not the kind of judge. You wouldn't have that here in Woodward County. You think God's going to have that in the universe? He's got to punish sin. And, and so he demonstrates his own love by coming for us. He came. He came from the throne of heaven to a barn of Manure-filled barn in Bethlehem. He came. He came for you. He demonstrated His love by joining us. I mean, he, he put on human flesh. He, he took upon Himself teething and growing pains and the stomach flu and head colds and bronchitis and being ignored and slandered and hunted down and persecuted. He joined us in being rejected and misunderstood and worn out, fatigued, frustrated, taken for granted. He joined us in poverty and thirst and lack and loneliness and betrayal. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He demonstrated his love by taking our guilt upon himself publicly. Man, if you picked the worst thing you did this week, and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna we're gonna go ahead and play that clip on, on TV, you know? You know, when you kick the dog, you know, cause you were mad about the whatever, you know? We're, we're gonna play that. Man, you'd be ticked off. <laughs> Even if it's true. You know, the true thing, right? I mean, you really did it. You said that. You acted that way. You threw that little tantrum. Well, go ahead and put that up. And you'd be furious. Jesus took upon himself, not his own guilt, yours. Yours, publicly, bore that on the cross. He became sin for us. gave up his life. He demonstrated it, right? Now, I was reading a guy. I thought, I thought this was a neat point. You know, it says, uh, verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But then in verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us, that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Why, why does it bring God in when Jesus is the one hanging on the cross? And and I, I, I thought this was brilliant. Now, of course, it's Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Whatever you say about one could be said about the other. So there's no theological problem here. But, but I, I think it's important. I think, what, I think what Paul's doing is what John does in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, right? He gave his Son. So let, let me just ask you it this way. How, how much love would you have to have for a wretched, rebellious enemy to give your life for that person, okay? So I, what, what's the level of love you would have to have for a wretched enemy of yours to to give your life that they might live, okay? Now, do you got that in your mind? Now, how much love would you have to have for you to give your child their life for that person? That goes up, doesn't it? That goes up. So, God loves you, Christian. God has shown that. He's demonstrated that. Now, here's where I want to finish, okay? So what? Right? So what? So God God has demonstrated very clearly his love for you. So now what? What, What's that do? What's that do for us? Okay, look at verse 9. Look at verse nine. This is really good. Okay. Since therefore, okay, since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. And then these are great words. Much more, okay, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So Paul begins this series of because God's loved you this way, because God has done this for you, now look at what he's going to do. Okay. Because he's he's done this, because he's loved you in this way, much more now he's going to do this. All right. And so the first thing he says is, you know, if, if God has done that for us by justifying us by his blood, then how much more will he save us from the wrath of God? Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. First of all, you know what? You'll never experience the wrath of God. You'll you, you'll never, No matter what's going on in your life right now, you'll never experience hell. You, you'll never experience the torments, the anguish, the deep darkness, the shrieks of terror, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth of hell. You deserve it. But God has loved you. How much more ought you to be sure, certain, that God will take care of you for an eternity? Do you see Paul's logic here? Here's here's the way his logic goes, okay? If God showed you this kind of love when you were sinful, weak, ungodly enemies, what's he going to do when you're a son or a daughter and dwelt with his own spirit? Do you you see that? Okay, so if God helped you as an enemy, what's he going to do if you're a son? If God rescued you when you were a sinful wretch, now what's he going to do now that you're a saint? I mean, it's not possible that he's going to go backwards. Does that that make sense? So, So Paul captures this almost in one verse in Romans 8, 31 and 32. 31 sets it up. 32 is the verse. 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. God didn't spare his son. God gave him, okay? But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? you see what he's saying? So what should the love of God do? Your experience of it already. right, so if you're a Christian here, everything I've talked about is the gospel. Okay, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this love. I'm not even talking about the the taste testers that come through through, through trusting him. I'm talking about the gospel. Everything we've just talked about, you you had the, the, the first millisecond of salvation. You've already experienced that. So what should that do in you? That that should fuel your Christian life. In what ways? Well, number one, it should bring great joy in what's to come. Okay, So Paul goes right back to that. He started with that in verse five verses. He comes back to it in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in God. Okay, When when, when you see that that's who God is, that's the way he loves, you you know what that does in a person? Makes me want to, Know him more. Isn't that why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, man, I want to know him. It's like, Paul, don't you already know him? Yeah, but I want to know him more. I want to see him. I want to spend time with him. I want to have adventures with him. I want to join him in his work. I want to hear about him. I want to talk about him. I want to go to a small group and study him. I want to sing songs about him. I want to rejoice in who he is. What else does it do? Man, it gives you trust, doesn't it? Has he has he not earned your trust? How's he let you down in this? Man, I'm telling you what. If he came that far and did that for you while you were the way you were, man, can't can't you can't you trust him? If you can trust him to save you from the wrath of God, can't you trust him with your Tuesday afternoon meeting? You ought to be able to trust him. Here's one you might not have expected. This ought to fuel your love for others. Not only your love for God, but also your love for others. Those two are connected, but it ought to fuel your love for others. Let let me me read you something out of 1 John, okay? So there's a whole bunch of verses here. 1 John 4, 7. ready? Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Good question. Why should should you love one another? Why should you you go to your small group and invest in people? Why why should you deal with irritating people? Have you ever noticed that, that one another means irritating people? Have you ever noticed that? It means people that get on your nerves. Why should you do that? Okay, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves, has been born of God, knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What's that saying? So you do that because God has loved you. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, if he so loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. Look at verse 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Are you seeing that, husbands? Man, Ephesians says, "Love your wife as Christ loved you, church." How, how are you going to do that? How are you going to love your wife as Christ loved the church? You know, you know, you know where you get your gas for that tank by, by coming back to the love of God for you. That's why it says, "Husbands, love your wife," or it says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church." And it goes back and forth, back and forth, showing you how God has loved you. This is how you love one another. How are you going to love your church people? Practically. We're going to do that by soaking up how much God loves you. What I'm telling you here is that as you experience that, as that gets put in you, it comes out of you. Okay? That's what he's saying up in verse 5. love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. How are you going to forgive people who hurt you? Do you know you're going to have to do that? Man, somebody is going to take you off they are they're gonna say the wrong thing they're gonna disagree with you they're they're gonna they're gonna slight you how are you gonna do it you're gonna do it by the fuel of god's love for you most famous passage about that what i just told you is matthew 18 for the sake of time i'm gonna tell you the story instead of reading it but you can go read it later on tonight if you want to matthew 18 begins in verse 23 but it's about a king who. Rich king, he's settling accounts, brings in his accountants. He finds out one of them owes him tons, $100 million, <laughs> you know. He says, pay up. The guy says, I can't. You know, he's sweating bullets. king says, okay, you're going to jail. Your family's going to jail. Everything you got's been taken. Guy drops to his knees. He can't bear the punishment of what's coming to him. And he says, please, please have mercy on, on me. Man, guess what? That king, total mercy. He, he says, all right, you're forgiven. No no installment pay, plan, no payments, no we'll pay this much, no work at all. No, he just says, okay, I'll have mercy on you. And he forgives the entire debt. This guy who's been embezzling for, for decades walks out of there a free man, owing nothing. And then you know the story, right? Gets to the bottom of the stairs. Hey, hey! Guy owes me 20 bucks. Oh, he's furious. It was a month ago. You told me you'd pay back the next day. That was 29 days ago. He is enraged. Goes and grabs the dude by the throat. Literally, it says that. Read it, read it later. Grabs him by the throat, chokes him. Give me my money. Please have patience. Show mercy. No. You're going to jail. You're going to jail till you pay the last cent. That's what Jesus says. You ready? Verse 32. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You see what he says? What have you received? What have you gotten? Verse 33. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Where's where's the gas in the tank come to forgive people? It comes from embracing we've been forgiven. Okay? Okay. There's lots of stuff we can talk about. I don't have time. Obedience to his commands that comes from this. But let, let, let me finish with Ephesians. So, Teresa, turn, turn there into to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what Paul prays. This is a good place for us to stop. He says, he's praying that you may be, that you may have strength, this verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints. He's talking about believers. What is the breadth and the length? And the height and the depth to know the love of Christ. Okay, do you see that? What is Paul praying for believers? Believers like Fred and Gene and Shelby and Lynn and Bonnie. What's he praying? He says, Man, I want you to know the love of Christ. Now, now couldn't it be argued? We already do. We're believers. We we've already we're all in. Okay, but then what does he say? Yeah, but I want you to know. I want you to know the, the breadth, the height, the depth. And you'll, you actually will never get to the end of that, right? It surpasses knowledge. Why? You see what it says? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's what I'm telling you. You need to know more of how much God loves you, right? I and mean, we've spent the last 40 minutes talking about the moment of your salvation, what God did at that moment you need to embrace that more fully. You, you and I need to see, we need to see the depths of our sin even more clearly so that we know the heights of our salvation. We need to see the incredibleness of our forgiveness. Here's the deal. If you're having trouble forgiving people, it's because you don't realize how much you've been forgiven. If you're having trouble loving people, it's because you don't realize how much you've been loved. If you're having trouble you know, bearing with people, you don't realize what God is born with in you. You see, when the more you come to understand that, the more it changes you on the inside. It changes your hope. It changes your your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your joy to know the love of Christ, to have that great hope become even more clear in your mind of what's coming for you in God. You may be here today and and you've, you've never embraced that. Like, you've never really got a hold of God's love. Thus far in your life, you've lived on this, I'm going to be a good person. I'm just as good as that guy. You know, right now you're saying, I'm just as good as that preacher. I got something to tell you. You're right. Probably better. And that'll lead you right into hell. The only way to be justified is by Jesus' righteousness. God's loved you. He's come after you. He's died for you. Would you embrace that today? Embrace it. Father, I pray you'd help us, God. Help us to know how deep the Father's love for us. How vast his treasures. That he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. God, I love singing that song. And God, I pray that you would show us today how deep, how wide, how, how long, how, how wonderful your love is for us. God, I pray that that would change us deep down. God, that it would shape us. God, show us, show us how much you love us. Help us to embrace that by faith. And God, I pray that it would, it would leak out of us in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.